Hello and welcome to Architecture Insights, the podcast brought to you by the New South Wales Architects Registration Board. I'm Di Snape. The 2016 Sydney Architecture Festival unfolded over the long weekend in October, a lovely warm spring weekend here in Sydney, behind the remarkable green facade of One Central Park, which is located on the old Carlton United Brewery site uh, on Broadway opposite the UTS Tower. By anchoring the festival at Central Park, we were able to take full advantage of the best urban outcomes of the development. It's ground level open space, it's proximity to the Chippendale community, the many gallery spaces on the site and around it, the very conveniently located Old Clare Hotel and the many other conveniences of this exemplary and diverse precinct. The festival program kicked off with a number of short talks from designers who were involved in the Central Park development from the very early stages. This episode of Architecture Insights features the first of these talks from landscape architect Matt Coggan of Turf Design. You won't be able to see the slides Matt talks about, of course, but I do think that you get an interesting insight into the design of the open space and in particular Chippendale Green. And Matt talked about how that process addressed the ambitions of the original master plan. After his presentation, he had a chat to Miles Martinoni, our friend and colleague and producer from The Guardian, whose expertise has helped bring these podcasts into being. Thanks, Miles. And they spoke about the cost-to-benefit offsets when it comes to investing in public open space, what that means for the developer and for the designers, as well as which, of course, they talk about that amazing planted facade. I'm, I'm Matt Coggan from Turf Design Studio. Um, we've been um, working on the public realm since about 2007 at Central Park. I thought we'd, what would be interesting to talk about today um, is some of the key design moves that we felt were important to the process that have uh, led to Central Park becoming a, a benchmark uh, urban precinct. So uh, we started off uh, 2007 working with international team of um, architects and designers. Our starting point was the, the legacy of um, Cox Richardson and Alex Zahn's work um, that brought us up to 2006. And um, Alec is actually going to speak about um, the process that they went through um, that brought them to this point. Um, I think something really important to note here that I'm sure Alex's going to ac- expand upon is um, the fact that even at this very early stage of the project, what we now know and love as Chippendale Green um, was a space that was identified as this really important link between Chippendale um, as we knew it, the Chippendale community, and, and Broadway. Some early thinking might have been to put the park onto Broadway and turn our back onto the Chippendale community, but I think that was a, a really important um, legacy of what we took on board. Uh, so there was a, a, a process of testing that thinking and, and trying a whole heap of different uh, master planning options that saw the, the park and, and the public domain take on a whole heap of different forms. But I think essentially the bones of, of um, the original master plan um, remained in the approved plan of 2009 and then again in the amended plan in 2013. So I think a couple of the key things to point out that, um, that we felt were important um, developments of that master plan, 
firstly the, the fact that the plaza space that we see directly outside here was originally nominated to be a, a building um, and by uh, increasing the density in, in Central Park, in one Central Park, we're actually able to give back um, a lot more public domain and um, that's where we have our markets and everything on the weekend here. So um, it's, it's, it's a very important um, contribution to, to the project as a whole. Um, this idea of giving back more public domain and, and increasing density in, um, in some of the buildings that surround it to, to make it a, a viable uh, development. Another thing was if we look at the amount of um, pedestrian priority environment that we've created, it would have been quite easy for this to become another uh, precinct that was just defined by roads, but uh, this precinct actually did away with many of the streets and said that um, these are now just pedestrian through links, and it's uh, really created this this sense of um, of belonging for the pedestrian in in this in the city. So I think that's a very important contribution. Um, so. Part of our, our job was to look at this, the site very early and, and say, well, what are the opportunities to make this a benchmark green development? Some of our contributions to that was thinking about how we could harvest as much water as possible and really achieve the, the client's vision and the project vision of, of having as green as possible infrastructure from the rooftops to the, to the ground plane. In terms of landscape character, we were really interested in, in carrying on the legacy of the character of, of Chippendale and um, bringing through that really eclectic mix of native, natives and exotics and um, making it feel like a really homely and fine-grained uh, precinct, even though we're at the same time providing quite a city-wide precinct for people to come to and enjoy. Um, this is a beautiful image by um, the architects, um, John Novell, that just helped um, illustrate that idea of bringing the Chippendale grain and character uh, into the precinct and then even up into the buildings themselves. Following the master plan um, development, we, we arrived at a, um, the final master plan that defined a number of key spaces and, and places within the Central Parks site itself. So we're really interested in creating a series of unique experiences rather than having this really homogenous city block that um, could be absorbed in one, one viewing. So these series of spaces, Chippendale Green, which, which I've just spoken about, um, in terms of the design, we, we didn't try to overplay it at all. It was about trying to respect the fact that you've got some great heritage buildings, you've got some beautiful new contemporary buildings coming, coming up around it, so you really needed a sense that um, there was a space that could just be the calming presence in the, in the precinct and allow all of these different elements to, to come together. And then the nighttime economy as well, thinking about how the place was going to be activated at night. So these are just a series of the, the spaces within um, Central Park that we uh, started saying, well, what could Kensington Street be? Could it be this really grungy new neighbourhood that not just um, the local community is going to like, but something that will become a, an attractor for the city, the broader city? And it's really the proof's in the pudding. The amount of use that that site is, is getting and the street is getting is um, just fantastic. Spice Alley was, was about trying to create these little nooks, these little moments in the city that were otherwise forgotten in the back streets.
and then the brewery building, which um, is the next, the, I guess, the jewel in the crown of, of Central Park that is still to be, still to be realised. So the, the last thing I'd just like to speak about before um, having a chat with Miles is, is just um, one Central Park, the building that we're in now, and um, how that evolved as a, as a design in the time that we were involved. So um, we worked with Alti John Novell and, and Patrick Blanc, who was responsible for the, the green walls. Uh, and it's amazing to see what we, what we ended up um, producing. It's, it's rare to see the vision realised in, in all of its um, glory. From these early concepts, it was always this idea of green from rooftop to the ground plane. And so um, when we came on board, it was the simple things of saying, well, how do we actually achieve this, this vision? And uh, the idea that you, you really need to diversify the uh, ways in which that you achieve greening of a building. You can't rely purely on cascading plants. You can't rely purely on mid-storey planting. You need to combine climbers, cascaders and all of your in-betweens to create a resilient and um, a strong green facade. So it was obviously looking at all the different spaces, rooftops, coordinating the green walls with Patrick Blanc and obviously looking at the horizontal planting which I think the horizontal planting represents about a few kilometres worth of garden space in the city. One of the challenges of planting on a building like this was we're only given uh, about 300 mils of soil to, to work with. So how do you create this vision of a beautiful, dense, green environment? Um, so we look to, to nature and some of the plants that actually can survive in those conditions. Australia's a great country for those conditions. We've got the desert, we've got the really windswept coastal vegetation here in Sydney. So we're looking at how that could be represented um, in, in the urban environment. Coupled with that was obviously the, the client's desire, having the Singaporean background as well, that he wanted this lush, tropical landscape, which is considered a great place to, to live and, and, and dwell in. So at the end of the day, what we realised, the, the key client for us was, was the environmental conditions. So regardless of what was wanted from a design perspective, if we couldn't get things to grow, then um, it was really a futile exercise. So... There was a lot of work that went into what the wind conditions were doing, what the, what the light conditions were doing, and developing pallets that responded to that. So high environmental exposure, low sun exposure, all of that. And so then we started allocating these species to the facades depending on where they were appropriate. Something that's interesting about this is you ended up with a lot more colour on your northern and, and, and western facades just because of the plants that would grow there and then your southern facades and the ones that get a lot less light ended up becoming um, more green. And, and um, Obviously before starting to build these things you need to test what you're doing and so prototyping was a big part of the project and uh, we used the marketing suite uh, on the site as a testing ground for all of these different plants and, and ideas. So. Um, here's some of the prototyping that was, that was built on site and um, following that we, we handed over to um, Aspect Oculus to document the project and, um, and deliver it with design landscapes. There was continued involvement obviously from Altia John Novell and um, design landscapes who constructed the, the projects. Thanks Matt. What That's a right. fascinating project you managed to work on. Um, I wanted to talk a bit more about um, 
the movements that you identified in density? Because from what you were telling me was that part of the lawns outside were once intended to be actually a building, a residential building. So what was the thought behind how you managed to uh, capitalize on, on more public domain space? Yeah, um, I guess as we see high-rise living and, and um, urban living becoming a, a lot more of a, a issue that we're dealing with um, in the cities these days, it became a real priority that if we can maximise the public domain offering uh, for the precinct, then are there other ways that we can deal with the floor space um, requirements of the project? So I think that was a really big move that started to say that the public domain is the most important um, aspect of, of these precincts. And if you get the public domain right, then um, the buildings can really, can really shine. So I think it's, it's a really positive step in the right direction. And um, starting to see the public and the pedestrian offering before the car network through a site, I think that's definitely something that, that this project is, is setting a, a new benchmark for in, in Sydney. Yeah. yeah, so not only yeah. you took a building and you essentially you added it to another building, so you made one higher, so you kept the same density, you gave us back more green space, and you also, there was meant to be a road that passed through where the current pedestrian walkway is. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I, I think in a lot of ways people that live in the city are still getting used to the idea of these really tall buildings. And the more height that we end up putting to some of these buildings, the more opportunities open up for, for public domain. Um, and, yeah, like I said, uh, the, the original thinking was that there would be a series of roadways um, that define the precinct and there was buildings within them. And the, the work that Alex Zanz and Cox Richardson did started to look at, well, which, ones, which of these streets are really... Um, necessary to be roadways that, that say that pedestrians can't use them really um, and I guess our work just built on they started to identify some of these streets and I think it just um, it got some legs as an idea and then eventually we ended up with a very pedestrian environment with a couple of less significant streets running through them yeah yeah, and that seems to really have defined the character of the, of, of the project, the way that you managed to give it back, so much space back to pedestrians. So mm. it's not just for the residents, it's not just a transitional space, but it's a space that people actually come to, to stay in. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it's a space that um, as soon as cars are out of the equation in many ways for um, a large public domain space like this, it just opens up so many opportunities for, I mean, we've seen Vivid, Beams Festival, markets on the weekend. All of a sudden, uh, there's a lot more that you can achieve. And uh, the activation of the, that central spine and having UTS across the road really allows it to work here. So we've, we've got this really great base population that can, can really feed into the, the activation of the precinct. How was it working with, I guess, the clients who were commissioning this work? Like, were, were they very keen on your ideas? Yeah, and I guess what I'm saying there is it's largely determined by how much the client's willing to invest um, into the project. And um, it was just a fantastic opportunity to work with someone that cares just as much as, about the outcome as you do. So it's expensive um, in some respects to achieve some of the things that we've done here. But um, I think 
hopefully a lot of other developers are starting to look at this and say, well, um, the benefits of, of investing heavily in some ways, the rewards are just endless, you know, so. Um, what, what's yeah. it like walking through here knowing that you contributed to making the space that when you come through here now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because as a designer, you're always looking for the things that you could have done better. <laughs> what we were mentioning, I was talking to you before about um, the biggest problem that we've got with Chippendale Green at the moment is that we can't keep the grass alive, but that's because it's so well used. So I guess that's a, that's a good thing and a bad thing. Um, you yeah. must have some sense of pride, though, when you walk through as well. Yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic. And I mean, we were just part of a, a large consortium of people that have you know, made this project what it is. Um, and I think it starts with a client that is, is heavily invested in the project and legitimately wants a good outcome. And that, that just brings everyone on board. And all of a sudden, everyone signs up to the vision and wants to make it happen. So. Thanks for talking to us, Matt. No worries. Thank, Thank you. you. Cheers. Yeah, yeah, and Sekasui House as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Dr. Quek was heavily involved throughout the whole process. Singapore-based. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I heard, correctly or not, that. Uh, some of this is explained by Australian drought tolerant plants and learning from Singapore's greening strategy. Forgive me, that's me simplifying it. Mm -hmm. um, that makes a lot of sense that through phrases there's a comfort with uh, this type of intensity of green on buildings because that's what Singapore has actually become quite excellent at over the last decade or so. Is, is, was that explicit? Was, can we say there is a, you know, is this building an example of learning from Singapore's greening strategy, or did I hear, um, that, hear that wrong? Oh, I guess what I was saying before was um, the, the, more so the landscape aesthetic. So this idea of um, what, what is a, a, a lush, um, almost rainforest landscape is something that is very much Singapore. Uh, and so with the client brought with them um, some, some ideas about what they thought was a, a great place to live and 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 um, then the the, arch the architect's vision was one probably more aligned with um, the uh, really embracing the Australian landscape um, um, uh, aesthetic which is a lot drier and um, all of those things so I guess we were working with two um, very different objectives or senses of, of what a good outcome would be from an aesthetic. Um, and we've arrived, I think, somewhere in the middle there um, where we've still got this really strong, it, it does have an Australian um, sense of aesthetic to it, uh, but there, there is still that um, really lush and, and almost, um, you know, tropical um, references in there as well. So, and I think as a resident, that's on all the developments that we do in Sydney, that's usually what most people are looking for. They, they want to have the sense of lush broadleaf planting to, to live in, yeah. Yep. I have a question about the maintenance on the, on the Nivelle building. Mm -hmm. um, how often are those plants replaced? Is it an expensive uh, exercise to keep that building green? Uh, yes, well, 
Mike, um, our director, actually lives in the building um, since it was built. And um, I, so after looking at the strata fees and everything, I was expecting it to be astronomical to, um, to account for the fact that there's a lot of maintenance that goes on. Um, stretched across that many apartments, it's not significant. I, I couldn't quote you on the exact number, but it's not a huge amount. And um, I, I think it's probably not viable for some developments that um, don't have the density that this does. Uh, but there's an economy of scale there. Um, and yes, there's a lot of there's ongoing replacement of plants. Um, uh, it's not the sort of landscape that you could walk away for a year and come back and everything would be, would be growing. So it, there's definitely that ongoing uh, maintenance as part of it. As yep. a follow-up question, is it in a sense sustainable or does the maintenance cost um, as an energy kind of transfer to an energy mm. uh, value override the benefit of the green? That's, that's a question that I'm very interested in as well. Um, I, I question myself whether um, ultimately it is sustainable, but it's, it, but it's just like I question whether um, having high-rise buildings and apartment living in such a high density on a city scale, if, if that's ultimately sustainable as well. So I think there's, there's questions to ask about. Um, what it does do is it adds value to landscape in the city so I think possibly even if um, the, the building itself is not self-sustainable, I think it sets a message for the city and for our appreciation of landscape and the environment that possibly outweighs the, the individual buildings. That was landscape architect Matt Coggan from Turf Design in conversation with Miles Martinoni at the Sydney Architecture Festival in 2016. I'd just like to acknowledge the support given to the 2016 Sydney Architecture Festival, in particular by Central Park Mall, Fraser's Property, Sekizui House, Ambush Gallery, and thanks also to the team at Turf Design, especially Matt and Mike Horn and all the other speakers who generously gave their time over the weekend to contribute to the conversation. So thank you for listening to Architecture Insights. We'll be uploading in the next couple of weeks to SoundCloud the other conversations that we had at the Sydney Architecture Festival about Central Park. You can hear from Alex Zahns of Zahns Studio, Mark Giles and Glenn Harper of PTW Architects. Thank you for listening to Architecture Insights. I'm Di Snape.